Glad to, to see you guys today. I'm so glad you're here because it's one of those, it's been one of those perfect summer weekends, hasn't it? It's like maybe the first one we've had all summer where it's hot, but it's not too hot. It's just one of those days that it's, it's been sunny. You know, it just makes you want to go out and hit the pool or have a picnic or, or maybe, uh, maybe be out on the lake. Any boaters in the room? Any, anybody have a boat? Anybody like to go skiing? I, I, it's one of those weekends where I um, drive by the lake that's near our house and I see these people out on water skis and I get a little bit jealous. Uh, do you, you get a little bit jealous with uh, people on water skis? And I get jealous not because they, they have a boat, uh, because quite honestly, I know uh, I've got lots of friends that have boats, and I know the trials and tribulations of owning a boat. I know that they say the two best days in a boat owner's life are the day he buys it and the day he sells it, right? And so, but I get jealous because um, I have never been able to get up on water skis. I have gone out uh, at least three different times and tried. I'm not very good with numbers, but maybe 10,000 times to get up on water skis uh, with different drivers, different boats, different arrangements of skis and ropes and booms and all kinds of things. And every time I end up hitting the water. Now, my wife, when we met, uh, had been water skiing. And so she told me a very important lesson when you water ski is to always fall forward. Uh, because if you fall backward, you get water in places that you don't want water. Trust me. But... Um, so every time people will say, okay, well, just hold on to the rope. And everybody tries to give you these, these tips that are supposed to be helpful. Like, just stand up. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. But every time I stand up, like my feet come out of the skis and I end up like surfing on my belly behind the boat, right? Or they'll say, they'll say something like, well, just pretend you're in a chair and sit like you're in a chair. I'm like, well, chairs don't try to pull my arms off, you know, as I'm trying to sit in them. And I've never been able to get up on water skis. And so I drive by the lake and I think, there must be some secret. Like somebody's got a secret that they're not telling me to water skiing. You ever feel that way about anything in your life? You know, I sometimes wonder too, as I read through my Bible, if prayer is a little bit like water skiing. Like, like I wonder if there is a secret to prayer. Do you ever wonder that? Is there a secret to prayer? What makes prayer work? I mean, you know uh, that Christians are supposed to pray, right? We're supposed to pray. Even if you don't pray, you know you should. Uh, but if you don't pray or don't have any interest in prayer, you know that it's something you can turn to if you need to, right? Or maybe you look at some people that you know and they pray a lot. And maybe you think that's kind of weird. Like they pray all the time. But you also probably know some people who pray and you think, man, if I'm ever in trouble, I want that person praying for me. You have that person in your life that, you know, I want that person on my side because God always seems to answer their prayers. You know, maybe you see some people that pray and pray faithfully and you think, like, I want that in my life. I need that. I don't know what the secret is, though. I mean, how do you do that? Do you ever wonder what is the secret to prayer? How do you make prayer work for you? Is it certain words? Are there certain words you have to say? You hear people pray, and they always use certain key words, right, that must be important. Does it involve a particular posture? Do you have to have your eyes closed? Do you have to be down on your knees? Do you have to stand up? Do you have to have your hands raised? Is there something, is there something I need to do when I pray in order to get the results that I'm looking for? Well, it may not surprise you that the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. And I'm going to tell you right up front, uh, as we're in chapter 16 of the story today, that we're going to start in 2 Chronicles 32. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. But we're going to skip around a little bit before we get there. But that's where the heart of our story is going to be, 2 Chronicles 32 or chapter 16 of the story. But the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. And so just a couple of verses to get us started in thinking about this. Psalm 145, for instance, says, The Lord is near to all who call on him 
to all who call on him in truth. So he's not some unapproachable God in a far off place. He's near. You know, we know that we can go to God in prayer. He's not so far away that he can't relate to what we're going through. He's near to us. He's close to us. It's one of the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second verse is this. uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that sounds so good to us sometimes, doesn't it? If we're in a tumultuous situation, if our life seems to be confusing, to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding, wouldn't that be great? Well, in every situation... The scripture says, by prayer, present your requests to God. You can go to God with anything. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too great. But also, like nothing's too simple. Nothing is too small. You're not going to surprise him with your fears or your questions or your requests. Uh, third verse is this. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, rejoice always, or 5.16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will. God's will for us is to be in prayer. He wants to spend time with you as you pray. And here's the fourth verse. Fourth, uh, 1 John 5.14, the Apostle John is writing this letter, and he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. And that's great confidence. That's great faith the Bible gives us that God's going to answer our prayers. Now, what, what if I feel like prayer is boring? You know, what if I, I feel like I'm just talking to myself? You know, I, I feel nothing when I pray. What, what if I fall asleep while I'm praying? If I'm praying and I fall asleep and I wake up like five hours later, does all that count? Do I, do I get credit for that time in prayer? I don't know. Or, or what about this? What about when I pray and I don't see any results? And maybe I've been praying for a long time and it feels like God's not answering. Or I'm, I'm, I'm still asking about the same thing over and over again and... It seems like I've been asking for it forever, and it seems like I get nowhere. But then I look at other people in my life, and it seems like they pray all the time, and God answers their prayers all the time. What is the secret to prayer? Well, today, as we look at the life of King Hezekiah, I I want you to see something in his story uh, that I think has everything to do with the secret to prayer. I want to show you some things that I'm learning about prayer that I think might be helpful to you right now. You know, Hezekiah prayed, and God answered his prayer. If you have to leave early, that's the part of the story you need to know. Hezekiah had this big prayer that we're going to talk about. God blessed Hezekiah. He answered Hezekiah's prayers. And if he can do that for Hezekiah, what I want you to see today is that he can do that for you and for me. So we've made it to chapter 16 in the story. If you uh, haven't been with us, you should know that this year our church is going through this book called The Story. And we're on chapter 16, which means if you've been reading along with us, uh, congratulations, you're halfway through today. We're halfway through the story. And so if you've been reading all along with us, uh, you've got less in front of you than you've got behind you. Congratulations on that. Um, if you don't have a copy of the story, though, uh, you can read along in your own Bible. There is a uh, reading plan in our worship program, and every week you can do that. And if you haven't been doing that, if you haven't started or if you've fallen behind, don't worry about going backwards and trying to catch up. Uh, just start with next week. We hope you'll read chapter 17 for next week or, or the scripture that's in your Bible in the worship program. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, we want to give one to you as a gift. We've got these stacked up at the Info Hub just outside these doors, and you're welcome to go pick one up now if you want, if you want to read along, uh, or you can pick one up after the service. We'd love to give you that as a gift because we want you to be reading through it with us. So chapter 16 today, 
uh, we just want to review a little bit what we've talked about because there's been a lot going on the last few weeks. And if you've been on vacation, if you left town for the 4th of July, I don't want you to miss what's been going on. Now, uh, the, the kingdom, Israel, which is God's chosen nation, is now two nations. It's been split in two. There's the northern kingdom that's called Israel. And there's this southern kingdom now called Judah. And we've been looking at the 208-year history of this, their time as a nation. And during this time, the Bible tells us there were 38 kings. Now, over 208 years, there were 38 kings of Israel and Judah. And for 33 of them, their tombstone reads, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So over 208 years in the uh, nation of Israel and the combined kingdoms of Israel and Judah, the north and the south, there were five kings total that had a heart for God. Only five. I would say this whole king thing isn't going so well for Israel, wouldn't you? And, And as we saw last week, Israel's been marked by rebellion and by idolatry and by pride. And this was true in both the north and the south. And so during this time, God sent nine separate prophets or these special messengers as his divine representatives. And each prophet came carrying a warning sign. And the sign basically said, you're going the wrong way. All right. Turn around. You're not doing things God's way. And if you keep it up, destruction is going to come. And every time well, the people would follow for a little while, but then eventually they would ignore the prophets and they continue doing their own thing. And so 2 Chronicles 36, we're a little ahead of where I told you to go. It's okay. We'll have the verses on the side screen. 2 Chronicles 36 says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place. But they, the people of Israel and Judah, mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. That's a big statement. And there was no remedy. Why would God warn them? Why would God keep sending these messengers over and over again? Why bother? Well, Scripture tells us because he had pity on them, because God is a God of love. He had compassion for them. But, but they kept going. They kept ignoring his warnings. And while he's a God of love, God's a God of justice, too. You know, so many of us get this wrong. I think all of us get this wrong at some point. Like, we have one of two pictures of God. He's either 100% justice... And so we think uh, like he's this celestial Judge Judy that's looking down on our lives and he's ready to like strike us down with our first mistake. Or we think that God's 100% love and he's willing to just overlook or brush aside our disobedience. I mean, even the church, even the church, we get this wrong a lot when we try to make God like 50% love and 50% justice. And we try to balance those two things. And maybe you've been in churches that lean one way or the other. They're more justice or more love. And, and, uh, but the, the picture that Scripture paints of God is something that you and I can never be. He is 100% love and 100% justice. Fully both. Completely both. And so while he's full of compassion... God's not just content to let sin go unpunished. And so what we read and what we talked about last week is the northern kingdom of Israel is eventually destroyed. The Assyrians, who were a world power at the time, have this army. They're a growing force. They have this army of 185,000 soldiers, and they attacked the northern kingdom. And God withdrew his hand of blessing. And the Assyrian army overcame the north in, in Israel, including the capital city at the time of Samaria, and they were defeated. And all the people living in Israel in the northern kingdom were scattered. They were forced to go to new areas throughout Assyria. Well, meanwhile, the southern kingdom gets to watch this happen. 
<clears throat> They've got a little benefit there. They, imagine yourself living in the south, okay? You, you hear about this great enemy, Assyria, and you see that when they come in and invade, they actually invade your neighbors to the north, um, and you hear about them wiping out your friends, your relatives, the people that you've eaten with, uh, the people that you knew, the people that your kids went to school with, and suddenly you realize maybe God's done warning you too. It's like this. Do you remember when you were a kid? And maybe you knew how to push your parents' buttons. Now, I know some of you are perfect and never had this issue. But for me, uh, my sisters and I, we kind of knew how to push our parents' buttons. But if you're really good, you know how to push them right to the edge, right, without pushing them over, without pushing them too far. And then every once in a while, maybe your brother or sister would get in trouble for something that you knew you were doing too, right? Like, I, I know I was the oldest, so this didn't happen very often. But occasionally, we would be doing something, and my sister would get in trouble for something that we were both doing. And I'd look, and I'd go, okay, now I know. I've pushed him too far. I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, that's what's happening here in Judah. You know, they look at the north, and they go, uh-oh, they've been invaded. And so I've got a chance to learn that lesson. So God sends this prophet to Judah, to the south, a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah uses what has already happened in the north uh, to warn the people of Judah. And you can find this in Isaiah 2, but I'll read it to you here. It's on the side screens. For the Lord has rejected his people, the descendants of Jacob, because they have filled their land with practices from the east and with sorcerers as the Philistines do. They've made alliances with pagans. Israel is full of silver and gold. There's no end to its treasures. Their land is full of war horses. There's no end to its chariots. Their land is full of idols. The people worship things they've made with their own hands. So now they will be humbled. And all will be brought low. Isaiah says, do not forgive them. Crawl into the caves and rocks. Hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. For the Lord of heaven's armies has, has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and bring everything down that is exalted. Isaiah basically says, God can't keep ignoring your sins. Remember, he's 100% love, 100% justice. He can't pretend like everything's okay when it's not. And Isaiah, through his warnings, reminds us that God is a God of compassion. I'm going to keep warning you. I'm going to keep telling you. He's going to go to great lengths uh, to protect us, to help us get our lives back on course. You know, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of godly wisdom. And if you're a Christian, I hope you have confidence that this wisdom from God is available if you seek it, you'll find it. Well, there's, there's two ways, I think, that we can kind of easily get godly wisdom. For one, God will give us something from the Bible at just the right time. You know, maybe you uh, pick up your Bible for the first time in a long time and you, you know, dust it off. And you, you're in a situation and you open it up and you go, God, I need something just for today. And sometimes it just seems like God will give you just the right verse, just the right statement, just the right... You know, whatever it is that you need for that day, it's perfect for your situation. Or maybe it's here on a Sunday morning. You know, you come in and you're not quite sure what to expect. You're, you're not quite sure why you're here. You know, you had a friend that invited you and you just sense something's missing in your life. And so I'm going to come see it. Or, or you drove by and saw the sign and said, hey, maybe we ought to check that place out sometime or whatever it is. You're here and you don't know why, but then you hear something in this room and God's trying to get your attention. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're not in a good place, that you're, you're going the wrong way. It's a path that leads to destruction. But you hear, if you act now, you know, if you'll respond today, God's grace and love you know, can spare you a lot of pain and grief. Well, that, that's one way through Scripture. But the second way that God warns us, he warns us through the example of others. You know, he'll warn us and as others tell and share their stories of pain 
and consequences in their own life. And if we're perceptive, we can pick up on those stories, see where their actions led them, and hopefully their story will prevent us from doing the same thing, right? Well, that's what happened in Judah. Isaiah is using the example of others to help guide the people of Judah. This, this powerful Assyrian army devastated the north. Now they turn their attention to the southern kingdom. 185,000 soldiers are ready to take down the south. And you would think that the end of Israel, what happened in the north, would be the same for Judah too. But this is where the story gets really interesting. And it's where the secret to prayer, I think, really comes into play. See, the king in Judah is a man named Hezekiah. He's the first king since David that Scripture tells us was really had a heart for God. He took power, and, and he's been working hard for change in the southern kingdom. Hezekiah removed all the idols in the country. So he went through, and all these idols that other kings had built, he took them down. He, he burned them. And he's been working hard for change. He, he, uh, he's following God. He's working hard to do the things God's way. And as a result of Hezekiah's leadership and his commitment, God starts working in greater ways for the south. You could say that his hand of blessing was coming back over the people again. And so here come the Assyrians. Toward the south, 185,000 soldiers. The people are terrified. It's just like Isaiah predicted, because he's a prophet, right? In the middle of fear and chaos, then, Hezekiah comes and he speaks to his people. And here we are in Second Chronicles 32. I told you we'd get here. Second Chronicles 32, verse 7. Okay, this is not in, the, in your copy of the story, by the way. I, I'm not sure why this particular set of verses was left out of the story, but the response uh, is. But here it is, Second Chronicles 32, verse 7. Be strong and courageous, Hezekiah says. That should sound familiar to you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him says this. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Hezekiah said, sure, I know there's this giant army. All right. I know they're strong. I know they defeated the northern kingdom already, but, but we have our God. And he is greater than any army on this earth. I wonder if you ever think like that. Like, I wonder, do you ever look at the obstacles in your life and think, you know, that may be big, but I know my God is bigger. Or, or do you get distracted by the things that are in your way? Do you, do you forget sometimes that God's on your side? Well, as for the Assyrians, they're really hoping to take Hezekiah and his people peacefully. They don't want to fight unless it's necessary. And so King Sennacherib of Assyria is pretty clever. This is what he does. He sends messengers to the southern kingdom. So instead of sending warriors, he sends these messengers in and they make it as far as the capital city of Jerusalem. And they go amongst the people and they start spreading rumors about how strong the Assyrian army is and what they did to the people of the north. They, they, they start creating panic. That's their goal. They want to create panic. They, they poke fun at God. They question his ability to protect the people of the south, saying, what can your God do for you? You know, no God has been able to stand up to the Assyrian army so far. Where was your God for the people of the north? It's a powerful question, isn't it? I mean, so many times in our lives, we see things that happen to people around us that are following God, and we think, where was God for them? And think about how relevant this is for us today. There's something here for each and every one of us right now. I mean, some of you right now, there's an enemy camped right outside your door. And whatever the situation is for you, the odds seem so great. It seems like something you can't overcome. It all looks impossible, maybe too impossible for God. I mean, because maybe you think it's too messy for him to clean up or too broken to put back together, too bad for him to redeem. While all this is happening, the enemy is in your ear spreading rumors. 
talking about how strong this thing is. Not even God can fix this one, he says. He can't protect you now. God can't put this mess back together. And so like the people of Judah, we get trapped. We get stuck in our own fears and our questions and our doubts and our disbelief. 185,000 enemy soldiers, there's no way out. What can we possibly do? Well, 2 Chronicles 32.20 tells us what we can possibly do. It says, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. They went to God. It's a desperate situation. It's one that they looked at and they knew they couldn't do anything about. And so they cried out to God. This powerful army has already defeated the north. They have every means to do it to the south. How, do King, how does King Hezekiah respond? He prays. He cries out to heaven about this. And I know that you know that what King Hezekiah did, that you and I can do too. He cried out in prayer. You can go to God in prayer too. In any situation, under any circumstances, you can cry out to heaven just like Hezekiah did. And so I want to take a few minutes before we get into what happens in the story and give you six truths about prayer. And so in your, in your notes, in your worship program, there's just blank lines, six blank lines there. You can copy these down. Whatever maybe strikes you in these, uh, you might want to write this down. The first one is this, and it's very simple. You can go to God in prayer. You can go to God in prayer. What was Hezekiah's response in that moment of desperation? He went to God. He, he knew. He turned to God in prayer. I, I don't know if it was always the case. But we know, at least in this situation, and then one other one later in his life, uh, when Hezekiah is sick, he turns to God in prayer. And what a great reminder to you and me that we can do the same thing. We can go to God in prayer. It doesn't matter the circumstances or the situation, how great, how small. One of the benefits that we have is we can turn to God in prayer. Number two is this. You can go to God with specific prayers. Okay? Uh, notice the words again from Second uh, Chronicles thirty-two twenty. It says that they cried out to God about this. What's this? It's the army standing at their door, ready to attack. There's no beating around the bush. It's not like Hezekiah went to God and prayed for peace, okay? We don't know what his prayer was exactly, but I've got every reason to believe that he went right to God and got to the point. God, we need some help. Like the enemy is advancing and we need you to do something about this. You can pray specific prayers. You can pray for meetings and for conversations. You can pray for relationship issues or specific temptations, Maybe last week after talking about idolatry, you've noticed some idols in your life. Well, you can talk to God about those specifically. You're not going to surprise him. If there are idols in your life, he knows what they are. So you can tell him that you know those too and that you're working to get rid of those. God, I need your help to get rid of these. It's okay. God's okay with specifics. He knows your heart. Okay? And look at it this way. He already knows everything that you're involved with. Why not get to the point and tell God what you need? You don't have to be clever with your words. I remember one time when uh, my daughter, Grace, who's uh, in middle school now, she was in second grade, and uh, the school carnival that they have every year as a fundraiser, uh, every classroom has a particular basket that the classroom puts together, and then they do a raffle to raise money for the schools. You guys have been involved in these. If you have students, probably you know this. Well, at my daughter's carnival, her second grade class decided instead of putting together the chocolate basket or the fishing basket or anything like that, they would just cut right to the point. And they all brought in their spare change. And they took a five-gallon water bottle, like the kind you put on a water cooler, and they would bring in their change every day, and they filled this thing almost to the top with change, about $400 worth of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies. And that was their uh, prize for the raffle. And so we uh, were going, it was a Friday night, we were going to, this, um, to the carnival, 
And we were talking about all the things that we were going to do that night. And Grace said, Dad, I can't wait until we win the chunk change. And uh, I didn't want her to get her hopes up. And so I told her, I said, Grace, we're probably not going to win the chunk change. What you need to understand is that there are people that buy hundreds of raffle tickets. And we're going to buy two each. Okay? And so uh, we can put them wherever we want, but we're probably not going to win the chunk change. But it's okay because it all goes to a good cause. And then she dropped the bomb on me. And Grace said, but Dad, I've been praying all week that we would win the chunk change. My second grader. All right. And so I'm the spiritual leader of the house. I feel like this is a great teachable moment. And so I turned, I were driving in the car and I turned back around to Grace and I looked at her as my, maybe my wife was driving. I don't know, but I looked at her and I said, Grace, I don't think God cares if you win the chunk change or not. So when we got the call on Monday that we'd won the chunk change, Do you know how hard it is to sort out $400 in nickels and dimes and pennies? It takes a long time, uh, but it's worth it. We got the call, and um, that day my daughter taught me something about prayer, that you can pray specific prayers, that God cares about the specific desires of your heart, and that's what we see with Hezekiah too. Number three is this. When we pray, God hears us. It's just like those verses we looked at a few minutes ago. Psalm says he is near to us. As John writes, we have this confidence that when we go to God in prayer, he hears us. He's never absent. He's always alert. Even when he don't under, we don't understand, he does. You know, I'm limited in my understanding. God is not. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. There's only so much I can do, but not for him. He's omnipotent, which means he has all power. Number four is this. God loves answering prayers. It's what he does. God is ready and waiting for our prayers. It's not intimidating to him. I've been thinking about some of the stories of answered prayers I've heard uh, recently. Stories of people completely healed from mysterious diseases. Of women becoming pregnant when they thought they couldn't have a child. Just this morning, of someone miraculously getting a job when they thought there was no hope in sight. God delights in that kind of thing. Number five is this. And this is important. God doesn't always answer prayer the way we'd like. I can promise you this. God does not always answer prayer the way we like. He will answer. He has the ability to answer our prayers that we should have prayed for and things that we don't know to pray for. And sometimes when we pray, God needs us to be patient. Sometimes when we pray, God's got something better for us. Sometimes when we pray, God knows that's not what's best for you. The Bible says, though, that we can cast all our cares Onto God because he cares for us. You can cast all your cares, everything that you're dealing with, onto God because he cares. And just because we don't think he's answering doesn't mean that he, he won't or he doesn't or he isn't. But sometimes God's greatest answer to prayer is that he sustains us. He sustains us through what we're going through. I, I, I know you want God to take you out of this valley you're walking through. But what if God wants to walk through it with you? I know you want him to deliver you from the fire, but what if God wants to deliver you through the fire? What he will do is maybe not change your circumstances, but he will give you the strength to walk through them. As you pray, what you discover more and more is that the burden is taken off your shoulders and put on the shoulders of the one who went to the cross for you. Hezekiah prayed. He asked for an army, help against an army of 185,000 Soldiers, which brings us to number six. There's nothing too great for God. 
There's nothing too great. You can't think of anything, say anything, offer up anything that's too much for him. You know, the prophet Isaiah says it like this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And consider this. Can any of us really grasp how vast the universe is? You know, how big this place is. The universe is so large that there's really no way to measure it in units that we can understand. You know, when it comes to the universe, the basic unit of measurement is the light year. Now, if you don't know what a light year is, light travels at 186,000 miles per second, uh, which means in one second it can make eight trips, just about eight trips around the circumference of the globe in one second. That's, That's a light second. Okay. Now, the sun is 94.4 million miles, depending on where on its orbit, away from the earth at its farthest distance. If you could drive to the sun, which you can't, don't try it, but if you could drive to the sun, averaging 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, it would take you 163 years to get to the sun at 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day. You don't have that kind of time, so don't try it. All right. But the sun that warms your face this morning or that warms your hand left uh, uh, about eight minutes ago. In one minute, light travels 11 million miles. In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. Okay, now we're talking about light years. That's a light day, 160 billion miles. In one year, light travels, get this, 5 trillion. I had to write this down. I didn't remember this. 5 trillion, 865 billion, 696 million and some miles. But that's just one light year. The edge of our universe, according to astrophysicists, is 15.5 billion light years away. It's virtually unimaginable. Yet God says, the heavens are higher than the earth in that way. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What do I take from all that? There's nothing. There is nothing too great for God. There is nothing that can frighten or intimidate him or come anywhere close to intimidating our God. There's no dream too great. There's no vision he can't accomplish. There's no pain he can't heal. There's nothing he can't deal with. There's no limit to his power and to what he can do. There's nothing to limit what prayer can answer. God is all powerful. That means there's nothing he can't do. He's greater than any problem or any question you might have. He's big enough to heal your marriage. He's big enough to heal your child. He's bigger than a positive MRI or a bad performance appraisal. He's bigger than your secret, and he's bigger than your sin. We all have limits, all of us. All of us are people. We are limited in what we can do, but God knows no limits, and neither should our prayers. That's why Hezekiah could pray. He knew where to go. He knew that the army was bigger than he could deal with, and so he prayed to God. And the Bible says that God responded and wiped out the Assyrian army without a battle. In the middle of the night, the people of the south were spared. And later on, we read uh, near the end of this chapter of the story that Hezekiah is on his deathbed and he prayed and he asked God to heal him. And God did. God prayed him. And I look to Hezekiah and I think, that's the guy I want to learn from. If I'm going to learn prayer from somebody, we talk a lot at Genesis Church about apprenticing, especially with our leaders and how you should always be bringing somebody along. And if you're thinking about getting into leadership, you should become an apprentice. If you're going to apprentice with somebody, apprentice with somebody who knows what they're doing. All right. And when I look at the life of Hezekiah and I see how God answers his prayers, I go, that's the prayer guy I want to apprentice with. All right. So I'm going to watch Hezekiah's life and see how he deals with it. When it comes to prayer, I want to learn from Hezekiah. The dude prayed for protection and God wiped out an army. Do you get that? That's huge. 
He prayed for his life to be extended and God healed him. I want to know what he's saying or what he's doing. I want to know what direction he's facing. Uh, Is he standing? Is he sitting? Are his eyes closed or his eyes open? What are the words? Is it a method? Is it a choice of words? I think there's any number of things you can point to. But I believe it all boils down to one thing. And it's right in the scripture we read earlier in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7 and 8. says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. And then he says this, for there is a greater power with us than with him. And that's it right there. That's the secret to prayer. It has nothing to do with the right words or a particular method. The secret to prayer is this. It's believing that he can. It's believing that God can. It's believing that God is big enough to answer any prayer we have. It's believing that he can. He can get me through a difficult meeting tomorrow. He can get me through this illness. He can get me through this relationship issue. He can get me through this summer class. He can get me through what my kids are mixed up in right now. He can get me through these hard financial times. He can get me through this uncertainty. He can help me deal with my parents. He can help me find a place to live. He can help me find a job. He can help me find a boyfriend. He can help me find a girlfriend. He can help me have a child. He can help me have a reliable car. He can help me find peace. Anything you have the faith to pray, God can do. In fact, Hezekiah prayed and God destroyed an entire army of 185,000 people. So I'm going to say it like this. If you've got the faith to pray it, God has the strength to slay it. All right. If you've got the faith to pray it, God has the strength to slay it. The secret to prayer is believing that he can. I mean, even that kind of faith will give you the strength to keep praying. When you don't see a result and you prayed the same prayer for six days in a row or six weeks or six months or six years, it's believing that he can. It's that kind of faith that keeps you going when God doesn't answer a prayer in the way you would like. But because he answers. And so it must mean he's got something greater in mind. The secret to prayer is believing that he can. Do you know what that means? It means we're all qualified to pray. We're all qualified to take whatever's going in our life and to present it to God. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have a record of great performance. You don't have to prove anything. But like Hezekiah, you can go to God at any moment, any time in prayer. Why? Because if you believe, while I can't, I know God can. Nothing is too great for him. I just want to take a moment here at the service and, and, and give you a chance to think about something in your life that requires prayer. I mean, maybe it's something that you've been thinking about this whole time because you've been praying about it for a long time. You may not have to think too hard, but here's what's going to happen. Josh and Alyssa are going to come back up here in a minute. And, and, and instead of sending you out with that thing and telling you to pray about it this week, we're going to take a few minutes right here at the end of the service and we're going to pray about it together. And so there's a couple ways you can do this, okay? Uh, you can pray at your seat as the band is playing. Or in just a moment, the prayer team, our prayer team is going to come forward. There are going to be people up here in the front of the room. If there's something you want to pray about, uh, I would love for you to come forward and pray with our prayer team. Get somebody praying with you about this. This may be something that you've been praying about for a while, you know, a week, six months, a year, and you want to spend some time praying about it. Maybe it's something you've been fighting on your own, and you, and you know you ought to pray, but you just haven't taken the time to be intentional about it. You've got a few minutes today. You know, maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian. You know, you're just here because somebody invited you and you're checking out this whole Jesus thing, but, but you feel like there's something missing. And you've got something going on in your life and you hear this and you go, well, you know, it's worth a shot. Why not try? So our prayer team is going to come forward right now and 
and you don't need to pray alone. We're going to take a few minutes. The band's going to play. Uh, you can pray in your seat, or these people would love to pray with you. We have some awesome prayer warriors here. Uh, maybe you want to thank God for something, whatever it is. Take a few minutes and pray about that thing. Don't be shy to come on up and pray with these people.